Hi, I'm Alicia. Hi, I'm Sarah. We're two English teachers reclaiming literacy through pop culture. Welcome to Lit. Hello, Lit Thinkers. We come to you for the second time. You may not know it, but it's the beauty of podcasting. Sometimes you have to re-record. So here we are. So excited to talk to you again about Daisy Jones, even though it's the first time for you. Um, so yeah, you, we, Sarah and I have been fans of Daisy Jones and the Six, the book. Really, since this uh, spring of 2022, I think is when we both read it for the first time. And that was right around when Buzz was starting to happen for the Amazon Prime TV show. Kudos to Reese, by the way, with her publishing company or production company for putting all of her shows across different platforms. I think there's a huge equity element there. But anyway, Daisy Jones and the Six. It's recently come out on Amazon Prime. It came out of one episode per week, which kept us on our, the edge of our seats. But there's so much good, rich ideas in here, especially as we look at it through the lens of creativity. So we're going to do something a little different today. Sarah, tell us about the double whammy we're going to do with Daisy Jones today. Well, we both loved Daisy Jones and the Six, the novel, and we both loved Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, which is nonfiction. And as creatives who are also teachers, it was really inspirational for both of us in different ways as we're looking at our creative processes, as we're looking at the reality of it is really hard out there to make money for a creative and the fact that she's so encouraging and saying, hey, everyone creates. Like this is just something, a part of being human. And so it's okay to accept that maybe you're going to have to keep your day job if you want if you want to be a writer, if you want to be a songwriter, if you want to do uh, canvas art, whatever you want to do, you may just have to keep your day job and see it as a creative outlet for that energy when you go home at night. And um, as two people who have day jobs and also podcast and also write and all the things, like both of us are doing these things, my 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 department head once said, I don't know how you do it all. And I was like, I just wanted to say you should see my house. <laughs> because my house is not clean by any stretch of the imagination. That is how I do it. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, we wanted to talk about the two. Because really, there is so much great creative energy in Daisy Jones and the Six, which is something I thought that they did really well in the, the series. Um, showing the creative process, similar to what we saw with Taylor Swift when we talked about Taylor Swift's Americana um, and Miss, Amer- Miss Americana. And so that's what we're doing. So that's what we're doing today, guys. We are talking about both nonfiction and fiction and television and all the things. <laughs> so let's get started. Realistically, in Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic book, there are six steps. We're going to skip the sixth step because there's some really powerful ideas in it. I don't know if it exactly applies to Daisy Jones. But what we're going to do is I'm going to talk about one of the steps in the book, excuse me, Big Magic, and then Sarah is going to talk about how it applies to Daisy Jones and the Six. So our first step is courage. Basically, according to Elizabeth Gilbert, anytime you are faced with a creative opportunity, so you're given a recipe, you're given the opportunity to make it your own, you decide that you want to finger paint today, but you also know that you're going to get messy in the process. There's a reality that any sort of creative venture, it first and foremost requires courage. 
Gilbert says that those opportunities are everywhere around us, but we have to take that courage to actually look for them, seek them out and invite them into our lives. So how do we see that in Daisy Jones, Sarah? We see that in our three main creatives because they brought in a third creative um, that highlighted more and more and more of Simone in the, in the show than they did in the book. Um, but first we see that in Billy Dunn. Uh, we see that as someone who somewhat reluctantly but really desperately loves music and loves creating and, and he becomes a part of his brother's band and so they become the Dunn brothers. Um, it takes a lot of courage for him to step out and say, I'm going to do this, that we're going to make this band and try to make this something. They have courage when they decide that they're going to go out to L.A. and do something different. They're going to leave Pittsburgh and they're going to go out to L.A. Um, he shows courage when he decides to, in the television show, approach Teddy Price in a store and say, hey, can we audition for you? I know you have no idea who we are. We're just these punk kids, but can we audition for you? Um, so there's just a lot of courage that we see with him and with the band really that says, okay, we're going to follow you. We also see courage with Camilla who decides to follow her boyfriend and then eventually husband and say, yeah, I believe in your dream. So we're going to do this. We see this in Daisy who grows up in a household where she is unloved, uncared for, just pushed to the side. And she says, okay, I'm leaving as a teenager. She leaves home and decides to make a name for herself and, and keeps creating and learning about the creative process and, and keeps working really hard at doing so. And, and then we do see this in Simone, who does the opposite. She leaves the West Coast for the East Coast and just picks up and leaves everything and decides that she's going to try something new. So that is And invests in a whole new genre, right? Like, I mean, yeah, she then absolutely. becomes one of the mothers of disco, which if you don't know about the history of disco, I mean, like, it is peak revolution music it was the soundtrack of of the queer movement it was the soundtrack of BIPOC freedom I mean like so many beautiful powerful individuals really leaned into disco as their outlet but I'm going to push back on two things real quick one I would say that Camilla she actually says to Billy at one point in the show you think I moved out here for you when she, like, she's a photographer. She said, no, I wanted to go out to LA for my career. Yes, she believes in and pushes Billy constantly because let's be honest, Billy ends up not having a lot of courage. There's more times that Camilla has courage for him. That's true. But realistically, Camilla is the one who, I mean, she says, I want to be a photographer. She d takes a lot of the original film of the band. She says, like, I am my own creative. While she's not one of the main creatives, we also ultimately learn she's kind of the backbone of courage for everyone. She's the one who looks at Daisy and says, I believe in you. More than, and she's not even a powerful person, just when she says something, people believe it. And interestingly, I'd also then say, Billy, one of the reasons why he runs out of his own courage, we learn very early on. So his the original courage was his brother's idea, right? It was Graham. Uh, it was Graham's. Yeah, it was Graham's idea originally to start the band. But Billy struggles with being part of the band because of his, the connection between music and their father that abandoned them. So there, we even find with both Billy and Daisy this idea that like I have to choose music even though music has hurt me. That is true. And I'd say it also, if we're going to talk about the courage of Camilla, we see Camilla's courage in asking Daisy to stay because mm -hmm. she 
knows that could be dangerous. Mm-hmm. And yet she believes that this is something that needs to happen. Mm. And so she still, that, that took a lot of courage for her to, to take a big risk because she was, a mm. risk, because bringing Daisy into their circle was a risk, a pretty big one. So, okay. We definitely see courage. This is how ultimately the band Daisy Jones and the six come to exist. But the next two steps, which I think we see a little bit of overlap, is enchantment and permission. Enchantment is when, so it's one thing to say, I I choose the art. It's another thing to be so in love with the art that that's when you have to put your whole, the whole rest of your life on pause, right? This is why Billy just tells all of his friends, let's move to LA. And he actually has the gall to say to their tour manager, book us a tour now. And the guy's like, you're a nobody. That's not how this works. <laughs> Maybe record an album or something first, right? But they're so enchanted with their art. They're like, no, we, we need to make music now. We need people to hear our music now, right? And I am going to ask you, Sarah, to talk to me a little bit more about the step of permission. Because I think permission is a really interesting step with um, Billy and Daisy. Permission, according to Elizabeth Graham, is realistically, you don't need anyone's permission to live a creative life. This is a quote from the book. But arguably, you need to give yourself permission. You need to say that this is something that I want to do and I'm carving out space for it in my life. So how do we see that, especially in the friction between Billy and Daisy? Well, I mean, Daisy gave herself permission to be creative from the very beginning. Um, But Billy has to give himself permission to... This is what's hard because he gets so into the drugs and alcohol and everything and then has to go to rehab and he has to give himself permission to get back into the studio, get back into the life without crossing the line. Like that's a pretty big thing for him to say, I can still do this and stay separate from everybody else while they're all partying and I'm just creating. And so he has to give himself permission to continue to do something that he loves, even though he almost lost everything because he lost sight of what that meant. Um, and they have to give each other permission to both be a part of the creative process because neither of them want to, they really do not want to give each other permission to be part of the process. Billy does Mm -hmm. not trust Daisy's work, I think he, which to be fair, she's a little flighty. Um, at least in the show, she is. She's very driven in the book, um, which is one of our criticisms. But, uh, mm. you know, she is a little bit flighty. She isn't always there when he needs her there. And so he, he struggles with giving her permission. And she has to give him permission to kind of be the hard ass and tell him, tell her what she doesn't want to always hear like you've got a good Mm. lyric here but we need to do this and there's a lot of that back and forth where they both are challenging each other to it and they've got to let the other person tell them as it is tell tell them the way it is and that's hard that is so hard in the creative process well and that's something you and i have really had to work on (laughs) as we edit and revise each other's work of i remember one of the first times you gave me something to edit and i was trying to be super super nice of like okay well um i mean this is good but and sometimes you just have to rip off the band-aid and say this section doesn't work i'm sorry 
I, I remember the first time in my current role as an editor, I wrote a note on someone's blog and I, I wrote, I'm going to stop you right there. And the person responded with, please be conscious of your tone in your feedback <laughs> to me because I took it really personally. And, and let's, that's internet talk even more. But I, I think with Daisy and Billy, Daisy in the show overly cares what people think this becomes one of her huge character flaws this is why she's so afraid of fame because she needs to be loved and billy arguably also cares what people think but he needs to be good but daisy needs to be loved billy needs to be good and they need to give each other permission for billy to say who cares if no one loves you? The music needs to be made. And Daisy looks at Billy and says, who cares if you're not perfect? The music needs to be made. And whether we see it that way or not, that's permission, right? To keep making the raw art and music that they end up creating together. Well, and if we talk about permission, that Simone has to have permission too. She has to mm. give herself permission to drop everything and leave and go to New York. And then when she's given the opportunity to have a record label and sign with the record label and they are taking away permission for her to live with the person she's living with, to have the love that she wants to have, to have the relationship and the life that she wants to have. And they're taking that permission away from her. She has to decide what's more important, living the life mm. that she wants to live or having the music dream. Mm the job mm. that she's always wanted to have. And, and that's just something that becomes a, a difficulty for, for her okay. as well. So mm-hmm. yeah, we, we see that all over the place. And that's maybe, I think a, a different take on Gilbert's idea of permission of there, there's constantly, you have to decide that part of permission we see in Daisy Jones is you have to decide which path you're going to permit yourself to take and decide how that impacts your creative direction. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. So then the next step is persistence. This is one of my favorite moments in Big Magic. Elizabeth Gilbert talks about how when she was 16 years old, she took vows to become a writer. And ultimately, she says it's what you and I talked about. My goal was not to become a successful writer. My goal was to always write. I simply vowed to the universe that I would write forever, regardless of the result. I'm currently reading um, Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things. And she says similar things repeatedly in her advice to others. This idea that to be a successful writer, it's not about thinking, how am I going to write the next bestseller? It's I'm going to constantly commit to my crafts because even if no one ever reads it, even if no one ever listens to our podcast, it means something to me. So how do we see that in Daisy Jones? They don't give up. I mean, we see Billy do this initially when he keeps going after and trying to find Teddy Price. Um, and says, no, we're really, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. Daisy does this over and over and over again because she's doing the same thing. She's pursuing um, Teddy and saying that I want to be a musician. And she and he's like, yeah, you got good stuff, but it's not there yet. It, it just isn't. You're not good enough yet. And so we see them persist with their craft. We see them encouraging everybody else to persist with their craft really the rest of the band isn't going to give up on this like none of them have this desire to give up on undoing this work they all want to do this work um camilla doesn't want to give up her photography she's not going to give that up either she's going to persist through and do this photography 
because they all have that need to create. And and that really is it's so funny because that becomes one of Warren's crit critiques of of Eddie at the end because mm. Eddie is just constantly just bitter. And I thought, if, if anything, Eddie was well portrayed in the show. He it really, he, he fed into the same tone that I got from him in the book. And we both listened to the audio version of the book and it just kind of got that same attitude. But, you know, his, his criticism of, of Eddie is... We've got this really great thing. Let's just keep persisting with it. Why are you insisting that you have to be the star? Like we're we're doing we're living the dream. <laughs> we're doing exactly what we've always wanted to do, but you want to be center stage and you can't handle just being the bassist. And that's not good enough for you. And in and it's because Eddie also persisted. He wanted to have well in in the show. He wants to have Camilla. In, in his music career, he wants to have all the things. He wants to be center stage, and he wants to, to do it all. And then we find out when he does try to do it all away from the band, it doesn't work out for him. It just it doesn't work because they had a formula that worked for all of them, and it, it's not working for them anymore. It, it doesn't work without all of them together. For him, at least. It doesn't work without all of them together. Well, we even see persistence in Karen's story. I think this is one that it broke my heart in the book. It breaks my heart in the TV show. Karen is put in a position, and we see, interestingly, I think, the book, you know, Daisy Jones is an addict from the moment that we meet her in the book. She's a big name by the time she comes in the six. That's why her name is added to the six's name. Um, we, we see her being even maybe more of a mess, but just not caring about what people think and the way that she does in the show. Um, and we see Camilla constantly having this battle between her marriage and her own career. But I think one of the beautiful things the show did is it really amped up the, the issues of, of sexism and homophobia that are in the book, but are, are heightened in the TV show. And that's so true in Karen's story that ultimately she's afraid first and foremost to admit she has feelings for Graham. And then on a bigger level, she ends up having to have an abortion because she's so afraid. And Graham even puts her in this position. She's so afraid that if she ends up giving into that love and that relationship, she can't also have a career, especially yeah. as a rock star. And she lies to him and says that she doesn't love him the way he loves her. Even though if she could choose, she probably would have chosen to have a life with him, a childless life with him. But she also knew that that's not what he needed. So if I, you know, go back and going back to permission for the two of them, this is not just creative. This is just in life. She has to lie to him to get him to leave, to give him permission to have the life that he wants and to give herself permission to have the life that she wants because she's persistent and she wants to have this. And this is one of those beautiful things. I, I love the way that Elizabeth Gilbert writes these five steps because they really all feed off of each other. You can't have one without the other. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of goes back to like our discussion about rhetoric when we were talking about women talking, right? That they all work in tandem with each other, but we see the same thing ha happening here. Persistence and permission work together. Um, and it, it works in a beautiful way and they make magic. And, and that is what happens in the book. And I loved seeing it on screen as imperfect as a screen adaptation always is to see that come to life was just really fun for me.
And as you're saying that all these steps feed off of each other, it's why the final step really points to why the band ends up breaking up. The final step is trust. And I love... Again, Gilbert talks about, you know, we have this image of the suffering artist, that to create good art, you have to suffer. Well, if that's true, then Daisy Jones and the Six would have continued to be a successful band. But realistically, they put together one album, they go on tour to promote that one album, and they break up before anything else happens. So... And a lot of that, arguably, you see this so beautifully in the final episode, it's because the thing that is lost is trust. Gilbert says that it's trust in your art to take care of you just as much as you take care of your art, that you choose love of your art over suffering from your art. And they they don't love the art anymore. And that's very apparent in that final episode. But what else would you add to that? The trust is broken for all of them. You know, first Daisy has lost her trust or, and she's betrayed the trust of some of the members of the band and betrayed the trust of Billy. Billy has betrayed the trust of Daisy. Um, we see that the tension, the tension that is between them in the book, there's a ton of sexual tension between them in the book, but nothing ever happens. And so we, we see the sexual tension because that's part of the creative process too, is that the two of them put down so many of their barriers and they see each other so completely through the creative process that that tension is there throughout, which is something Camilla sees. Um, the two of them have betrayed Camilla's trust because they have kissed. And it's, it's if you're being honest, in both the book and, and the television show, it is an emotional affair. They are having an emotional affair. And Camilla finally calls it out. Um, and Billy breaks mm-hmm. the trust by drinking. You know, he's been sober all this time. And that's what also causes him to make some bad decisions because he drinks. Like for the first time, he can't handle this anymore. He can't handle the pressure anymore. And he finally gives in and has a drink. Um, Karen and Graham have broken that trust with each other because Karen had the abortion without telling Graham. And he feels like not that I think deep down, he probably always knew it's not what he wanted. He, he wanted to believe that there's two of them could be together and have a family and all that sort of stuff. But Deep down, I think he knew that that wasn't a possibility. But the fact that she went without him, mm-hmm. even though that was probably the only way it was going to happen, it felt like betrayal for him. Um, and so that trust has been broken. Um, poor Warren is just sitting there like, what's, what? I, I just. Poor, sweet, beautiful puppy. I love Warren. I loved him in the book. <laughs> I loved him in the show. I just, he just is living his best life. But he's loving it. But, like, when he looks at Eddie, he's like, Eddie, like, how is this a bad life? And he's like, I just want better, man. And Warren's like, like I'm dating a superstar movie this. star. Come on. And he married her. Like, he's <laughs> like, this is the best. And he, I love that they're doing this as a documentary-style show. And he's just giving all of his interviews on that yacht. Like, the whole time, all of his universe are on the yacht. I know. It's great. Um, so, know. you know, Warren just is wondering what's going on. Eddie's broken the trust because he basically has told Billy, I'm leaving. I want better. Oh, by the way, me and Camilla, we had a thing. You know, like, so there, that means the trust is broken with Camilla. And Simone and Daisy have started to heal the breach that was there when Daisy broke the trust because of her short-lived marriage. Um, 
And, and that did break the trust. That short-lived marriage and the cruel things that she said to Simone as a result of that of that short-lived marriage um, definitely hurt their relationship. But you can tell that they're going to they are going to be able to heal that friendship. And if you can't trust each other, and it, I loved the final episode. If I was going to pick an episode, like the the final episode was the best one because it showed so beautifully. Mm. You see on stage, they're performing their final concert. No one else knows how broken things are. No one else knows how bad the situation is. They don't know that they're all fighting. They don't know they're not talking to each other. But And, and the tension and the passion is still there on the stage. And we can still see the tension and the passion th- there mm. on stage. Whereas mm. you're getting all the flashbacks of all the bad things that have happened. Of all the ways that they're broken. And all the things that they've said to each other and as they've gone around and around and around and it just so beautifully merged the two as you get those two timelines together coming at the very end. And then the final reveal, which I knew was coming because it it, it choked me up when I was reading the book. And then when you find out that it's their daughter, that it's Camilla and Billy's daughter that is doing all these interviews and it is putting together this whole piece to find out her history, to really, truly find out what happened to a life that she had as a small girl, as a little girl, you know, um, to know that it's her and to know that Camilla's gone. <laughs> so you, I think we didn't even bring up because they add this in the show, you know, Daisy in the book we never really meet her parents. By the time we meet Daisy, her parents have been gone for forever. And we only know her as Daisy Jones. In the TV show, she has another name. She chooses the name Daisy Jones as her performance name. And in the final episode, part of what breaks Daisy is that Daisy finally reads a letter that she got from her mother several episodes before. So there's some interesting layers of family. But coming back to that idea of trust... To then find out that essentially this whole docu-series we've been watching about Daisy Jones and the Six is being filmed by Camilla and Billy's child, there's the level of trust that they are giving to her as they reveal their story for the first time. I mean, Billy starts the first episode saying, did Daisy agree to this? It's very apparent none of them have talked to each other since they broke up. But now they are doing so here in the documentary. It also shows that their daughter is a proxy for Camilla. Because if there was one person that still Mm. kept all of them, that still tied them all together, it was Camilla. Daisy had great, I think she both hated and loved and respected Camilla. She hated that Billy was never going to leave her, leave Camilla Mm. for her. Um, And yet Camilla had always encouraged her. And she respected that this was something that was that that Billy really did genuinely love her. It, it, he was in love with two women, but did really genuinely love her. Um, Graham always saw her as a sister. It, it was sister-in-law, but always was her sister. Was his sister? Karen saw her as a sister, even though they were not blood family at all. Um, Warren just loves everybody and loved Camilla because Camilla was, you know, like the mother hen of the whole crew. Um, and Eddie was very much in love with her, even though it was unrequited. Right. So 
it, she was the thing that tied them all together. And that is, it's so heartbreaking when you find out that her, their daughter's a proxy for Camilla because Camilla's gone. Right, Camilla. And so this is kind of, now the story can come out. It's one of those horrible realities sometimes that there are some stories that can't come out until the people are gone. Um, and because she is gone, she's given them all permission. Going back to permission. <laughs> now that she's gone, it gives all of them permission to say, okay, here's the whole story. So it's interesting because one of my things I really struggled with in the show is I felt that they they glossed over and kind of idealized the Billy and Daisy relationships. So then when we have this final moment in the show of Billy going to Daisy. I struggled with that. But then I also will say one of the things I really loved about the original book is the fact that you don't have these flashbacks. You only have the auditory history of each of the band members as they're looking back. And that's part of what makes it so beautiful. It's the nuance of that. Similarly, I think the, the nuance of that final episode, it's a different type of story that they're telling. It's obviously there are details that they can share in a flashback that you can't necessarily share yeah. when you're just sharing your memories. But one of my favorite nuanced moments, the way that we find out that Camilla is gone is when their daughter is showing Billy a tape of her at the beginning and she is getting ready for the camera and she adjusts her wig. And it, it's the subtlest, like most subtle detail of then you're realizing, I mean, why Billy is sitting here with his daughter and why Camilla is not there. I mean, nothing more has to be said. They do talk a little bit more about it, but that's it. And that speaks to, I mean, I just also kudos to creative process of the writers of the Daisy Jones TV show <laughs> because they, they hit a lot of those moments on the yeah. head very yeah, beautifully. They did. They did. <sighs> So, as always, it is never perfect when you take a phenomenal book and turn it into a film version. Although we were talking the last time we recorded, <laughs> the first time we tried to do this episode, um, we were talking about how I, I honestly don't know how filmmakers did this. And I do know they cut so much stuff out of books. Right. But we have this new medium, which is series television, which is taking all of these fantastic books and turning them into full series. And I just now I'm right. like, why were they doing this for years? I know why they were doing it. They didn't have all these streaming services that could do that. But man, I love this new thing that we can take these books that we love and we can see them actually played out the way that they should be played out. On screen. But then also how funny how much they cut out of Daisy Jones, the book, for the TV show in the name of adding in new. I, I don't know. But that's a whole other episode. That's not our Lit Think model anymore. But we, we enjoyed it. Kudos to these people. Highly recommend if you wanted to talk about the creative process with your students. And that could be in response to an essay unit. It could be in response to a creative writing unit. It's April as we're recording this, so you could be taking a pause for a little bit of National Poetry Month. You decide, but there, there could be so many cool ways to talk about the creative process, and realistically, Daisy Jones is definitely a very valid pop culture example of individuals working through the creative process in the name of something, creating yeah. something, whatever that something is. Yeah. At least, like, clips. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole thing yeah. might get Which is... But <laughs> the clips. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 
watching and enjoying right now, Alicia? <laughs> so I'm going to begin with, with the, the goofy one. Uh, I just recently read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Highly recommend it. It's a beautiful commentary on like the golden age of Hollywood and it's told in a similar structure to Daisy Jones and that there's an interview process, but this one flashes back then to the person who's doing the interview in between the interview moments. The reason it's funny for me, I was talking with a friend recently and I was saying like, Oh my gosh, I really enjoyed the seven husbands of Evelyn Hugo. And she said, have you ever read anything else by this author? And I said, no, this is a totally brand new author for me. I just heard about this book. What else have they written? And she said, oh, well, have you ever heard of a book called Daisy Jones and the Six? <laughs> I said, oh my gosh. As of last week, I had just recorded a podcast episode about it. Doing it again. <laughs> so, um, Taylor Jenkins Reid. Yes, I do love her work. I didn't even know I was such a fan. <laughs> so that's what I've read recently. And then I have been speaking of the creative process. I've been sitting on my couch cross-stitching in the evenings. And I um, binged through a really short musical TV show that's on Hulu called Up Here. And the whole premise of this show, it's two people, and each of them have all these voices in their heads. All the musical numbers are all the voices in their heads as they experience different issues. So the girl, the two voices in her head are her parents and her middle school best friend. And the guy is the man that his girlfriend cheated on him with, his high school crush, and his dead mother. It sounds so weird. I promise it's beautiful. It's based in the 90s in New York, so there's some rent vibes. And it's only eight episodes. Like, it's real quick, but it is just fun. Lots of random musical numbers going on in people's heads. Why not? Let's add in a touch of crazy. That's really what I mean, my Broadway musical that I'm living every day. I know it's just up here. So. <laughs> That's why the show's called Up Here. <laughs> anyway, Sarah, what are you enjoying? Um, I had to read American Born Chinese, which had, been, which had been on my to-read list for the longest time. But I'm teaching it right now. Mm. So I had to read it finally. And after I read it, I remembered that you had said that Dragon Hoops was really good. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to see if our school library has it. So while the kids are doing their science the same reading, I will read Dragon Hoops. And they did. It's a much thicker volume than American-born Chinese. Um, but I just finished that one today, and I loved it. Like, I really enjoyed American-born Chinese. We are both excited about Disney Plus having an American-born Chinese series starting in May. But Dragon Hoops, which is the story of Gene Lane as himself writing about infiltrating his school's um, basketball team for a season, taking his total lack of knowledge of basketball and in learning about the history of basketball and his school's history of basketball. And, and then also the fascinating twist of him making the decision to leave teaching after 17 years, which is such a fascinating twist that he documented via the memoir, his decision-making process in doing that, which was fantastic. Um, I loved it. Highly recommend it. Um, so that's what I've been reading. Uh, and Ted Lasso season three started several weeks ago and we're halfway through the season and I have loved every season, but I'm loving this one better than season two. 
Um, I don't know how I feel about it against season one. I think season one just kind of stands on its own because it was its own thing. I think season three is kind of standing on its own as its own thing. But it is just such delightful, heartwarming, thoughtful television. And it's so funny because our almost 12-year-old is always like, I don't get why all these adults like Ted Lasso so much. Why do you guys all like Ted Lasso? I don't understand. I'm like... You will. You just can't understand. You just can't understand. You're not a grown up. You can't understand this grown up humor and all this stuff because it's and it's not like adult humor. Well, there is adult humor, but it's not like it's adult humor. It's just the realities of life, but also showing the hopefulness and the realities of life. And I just love it so much. So anyway, <laughs> someday you'll have well, Apple TV, and then you can watch all three seasons of that. <laughs> That's true. It's on my way to do list. But hey, let maybe me... then we can do Shwigadoo. Right? Maybe. Maybe. Then we can do Shwigadoo. Maybe. Okay. That's the dream. Yeah. So this is just we we actually started our last recording reminding everyone that this was our final episode of season three, which is so exciting, especially because I, I think we gotta share it today, Sarah. We just officially found out the we'll be presenting at NCTE twenty twenty three this fall. So we've got so many cool things coming down the pipeline. We're so excited to share what we're up to with you and just know even though we're not dropping episodes this summer it's because we're prepping for a lot of really exciting things we're also presenting at a local conference and then again conference ncte in the fall we're gonna come up with some new models and maybe some merch all the things i promise sarah and i we're gonna get it on the books we're gonna schedule and talk out all the things but in the meantime, please remember, you can always check it out, out on social media when you're missing us, Facebook and Instagram at LitThink Podcast, and our Substack newsletter. I will be writing the, po- the blog this week about the creative process. So don't forget and keep an eye out for us in the future. This has been Sarah and Alicia signing off. Keep on lit thinking, people.